case, you know, like we're doing a mini series, obviously on family annihilators. This one's a little bit different because number one, the fame around Amityville. I mean, if people hear that word, they instantly think of the movie, both of them. Um, Everybody knows Amityville. Right. And, uh, but also the family annihilator killed his parents and his siblings versus, you know, a husband killing off his kids and wife. But I feel pretty stupid where this case is concerned, because let me tell you, I had no idea that the movie was based on an actual murder or murders that occurred in the house. I had no idea. I just thought it was a haunted house. And when did you find out? I found out just a few weeks ago when I was listening to Crime Junkie. Oh, you didn't know it was real till a few weeks ago? No. Now, I knew Amityville Horror, the movie, which was released in 1979, was based on true events, but I didn't know that there was actually a family annihilation that occurred in that house before the um, Lutzes moved in. I had no idea. So that was kind of interesting. And I guess like in the movie, I thought it was a fictional movie based on true events. And I was a teenager when I saw it, I think like maybe 13 or so. So I never connected that there was a real murder, but I can tell you that I was traumatized by that movie. Really? That was a scary movie. I was traumatized and I probably saw a rerun because obviously I didn't see it when I was six. Um, But it, so let me show you. I was so traumatized by it that, okay, at the time I lived in Odessa, Texas and dad was on the road. And so it was me and Shirley and we were eating, we lived in a trailer house and we were eating dinner and um, a song by Alabama, remember that band? Yeah. Came on. Yeah. And I got chills because the the singer, that lead singer, Randy Owen, reminded me of the guy that played uh, Mr. Lusk. So let me show you. So it like we're eating, you know, we're yeah. eating. Look. Yeah. He does look like James Brolin for just the hair. And the hair. He so, does. I think I had recently watched the movie, so I was already freaked out, you know, and then I hear love a rainy night, you know, and so I look at the TV and I'm like, oh my gosh, he looks like the Amityville horror guy. And I think, and then like, what's up with these people and beards? So that's a guy that is the real Lusk. Right. Which he looks like James Berlin for sure. And then he, Here's the guy that killed him. Oh my gosh. And then um, there he is again. So I'm like, what the heck is up with the beards, people? Era. Yeah, it was the era. Oh my gosh. So like that is creepy. Right. So I, I I've never listened to another Alabama song oh, since then. Really? I like Alabama. Mm. I always thought the lead singer was very handsome. But <laughs> that that's my history so are you visit not to play Alabama because I was in my mind thinking I would now I think we should anyway right you know I've grown as a person (laughs) I have not so obviously I want to play it 
So I feel I'll be fine. You play Alabama all you want. All right. Okay. okay. So that that is how just that is the example of how much that movie freaked me out. That's that's strange. Because there were worse movies. Exorcist. Oh, uh, I never watched that. Pretty lame. That sort of freaked me out. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Well, and dad said when they watched it, because I guess he went with Sissy to watch it in the movie theater, people literally lost their mind in the no, movie. No, he went with me while I was pregnant and your grandmother chewed him out. Oh, was it you? Yes. That's probably why I am the way I am. Right. I was pregnant and your grandmother really. Thank you. I appreciate you guys considering me in the womb. Well, I didn't even know what movie. He just said, let's go to the movie. Okay. And he said of all the movies he's ever watched, that one scared him. And I think it's when it's based on true events, I think that like gets in your head. But I also think we all know some of this stuff is real. If you, if you don't think there's, you know, another world out there, you're just, you're connected. You're naive. To me. So, okay. So this is crazy. I just had to show you because to me, Randy Owen just looked, you know, like the the guy that lived there. Now, did y'all know when y'all watched it that it was based on uh, DeFeo murdering his family? Yes, I did. I don't remember. I watched it when I was really little. So is what you're doing, Mom? Just like you took me in your womb to see oh, her, her and Dad. Her and Dad. I watched um, uh, the most vivid one I remember: Total Dark in the Apartment. Watching uh, um, the guy with the Freddy Krueger. Who? What well, were you three? I think so. It was either three or five. Wow. Well, no, that was at my dad's, but both of y'all would, I mean, there was like no, you know, horror movies, thrillers, yeah. Wow. Well, it was a different time. No? (laughs) It wasn't. (laughs) Okay. All the scary ones, but I don't remember knowing if that was real or not. So, you know, the house on Amityville looks like it's smiling, two eyes and a smile. Yeah, that's, and I remember. Yeah, they redid it. Is it uh, down? And we'll and we'll see pictures of the house today. They even had to change the address, and we'll get into all that. But um, I wanted to give some background on the village of Amityville because, you know, as I started doing these, because obviously we're going to go through the family annihilator aspect uh, of Ronald DeFeo Jr., uh, and we'll get into some of the creepy stuff later in the Lutz, but. Uh, I thought, you know, I wonder, because when I started doing these family annihilator cases, I started seeing a pattern of how negatively it impacted the city. Yeah. It, it, it like completely changed the city where when you think of that murder, you think of that city, or when you think of that city, you think of that murder. Well, don't you think that though, in most cases, even today? Of just anything. Yeah, anything horrific. you can hear of people that are murdered. I mean, we've had murders here in Clovis, some that are still unsolved. But when it comes to stuff like horrific crime or serial killers or family annihilation, it's like it puts that on that town forever. I mean, like if you go to historic um, sites to this day, what are they known for? They're known for what happened there. And um, you think of Bundy. Exactly. I always think of Bundy when I hear Seattle. Right. 
Oh, I don't. I don't these music, the grunge music. <laughs> That's where a lot of the bands came out of. Well, and okay. rain. Yes, rain and rainy night. There's something with Alabama. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, so no. Alabama I, and Amityville, rain and rainy night killers. Rainy night is from is from uh, Eddie Rabbit. Rabbit. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Like too, they look. Eddie Rabbit looks like the killers too. So, is it Alabama or should I play Eddie Rabbit? I think Probably, should. if it's I love a rainy night, it needs to be Eddie Rabbit. I got you. I'm gonna look up Eddie Eddie Rabbit. It, it looks, looks like, like him. him too. Yeah, it looks just like him. Dark beards were in. That's him. Yeah. But still, Alabama dude looks like him too. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, what is up? Okay, let me let me share my screen. Oh, I had in my head this whole time that it was. Oh, it looks wow. just like him. Mm -hmm. That it was uh, Alabama. That's funny. Look at that one. Look at that smile. That. Oh goodness! Wow. Yes, it was Eddie Rabbit. Mm hmm. Not Alabama. Not Alabama. So make sure so you have some Eddie Rabbit, okay? It was Alabama. She wasn't listening to either, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. So Amityville is a small village in Suffolk County, New York. It's within the, this is crazy, the geographical boundaries of Babylon, New York. Oh. That's where Lance Wallnow worked before he went into ministry. I think that's funny. Um, but they are incorporated. They have their own local police force, fire department, and public works. It's called to this day the Friendly Bay Village. And it was primarily a farming community with strong ties, and I'm quoting, to the fishing and boating industries. Those slowly gave way to summer visitors, theater personalities, businessmen, artists, writers, and the rich and famous of Manhattan. And they would go to Amityville in the summers for the cool breezes and beaches. It's an affluent community with about 9,500 residents, mostly age 45 and older. Yeah. So you can imagine how horrified I'm sure this community was, number one, and how irritating it probably still is to this day that's tied to this uh, this family annihilation. We still have tourists, too, that go there. Yep. Yep. And then the relief of the... In there, I wouldn't. The new Amityville horror with is it Ryan Rob uh, Reynolds? I think the, oh, the yeah the new one. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know they did a new one. You mean new recent or new recent? Mm -hmm. And so they redid the movie, and uh, it's just increased the tourists and the interest again. So I did a Google search to learn a little bit more about them, and it's really pretty. Like if you pull it up, it's a really pretty town. However. When you bring up the city, most of the photos that come up are of 112 Ocean Avenue in the infamous house in the Amityville Horror. Now, this uh, tiny little 2.5 mile area village uh, is on Long Island. I didn't know that either. Now, before the murders, uh, Ronald Joseph, or Big Ronnie, as they called him, DeFeo Sr. and his wife, Louise, had high hopes for their new home. In fact, they hung a sign out in their front yard that says high hopes. Aww. And they had come a long way. Uh, many wondered how big Ronnie could even afford the house. Again, it's like 
you know, we've got um, uh, big house, questionable, big house. Yep. So I think this tied to uh, mafia somehow. Uh, there were rumors of that. I'm not sure if that was the case. Now, you know, they made 17 movies counting the new one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is actually, they, they say this is, this is a house we would see, the front of the house. And this is what it looked like when they were murdered. They were Catholic, so you could see. Oh. Okay. Um, but the front of the house was actually on the side. And so this is the side view of it. I love all the windows. Mm -hmm. Love it. And then this is the floor plan. And you can see where the children were, which we'll get into. Um, and then this was the back of the house where the pool is located. Okay. Nice house. house. Yeah. yeah nice. Super cute. And um, I'm trying to find this sign. Oh, here it is. Here's this sign that says high hopes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, All right. So um, Big Ronnie and Luis, uh, Louise got married after a very brief courtship. Her parents did not like him either. They did not approve of them getting married. So they actually cut all ties with the newlyweds uh, and they did not even attend the funeral. I until, think he was very loud. I mean, I'm not, I'm sorry, not the funeral, the marriage. Yeah, he was real loud, overbearing and abusive. Yeah. Come to find out. Yeah. So they cut all ties with them until Ronald DeFeo Jr. was born. And uh, they called him Butch. So we'll call him Butch so we don't get confused. So Big Ronnie's a dad. Butch is a son. Butch was born September 26, 1952. And they, they were reading him pretty well, Louise's parents, because uh, he was abusive, especially toward Butch being the oldest. Uh, a lot of people, including family members, witnessed it. Uh, one minute he'd be hugging Butch, and the next minute he'd throw him across the room. And everyone just sat there, watched. Mm -hmm. And so Louis, uh, Luis's brother, Michael, witnessed that one time when he was visiting. He said they were all sitting in the basement, which that's kind of where it all started, watching TV when Big Ronnie stood up for no reason. They're just watching TV. And he pushed two-year-old Butch into the wall for some minor infraction. Butch hit his head and hurt his shoulder in the fracas. This type of behavior can be extremely damaging because you never know when you'll be attacked, especially right. as a young child. So your perspective of the world is developed by the age of five. And so by the age of five to Butch, the world is unsafe. Yeah, and again, I'm not excusing him murdering his family, just setting up the background so that we can see how probably again, a perfect storm has been created here. Uh, so he never knew when he was going to be attacked. He probably felt no love from his dad. Uh, I'm sure his dad also abused his mom, if I remember correctly, and his other siblings. But he got the brunt of it. Okay. He didn't. He didn't abuse the daughter as bad as he did everybody else. Right. Well, he had two daughters, but the oldest daughter, Dawn, also hated his guts. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, again, not to excuse it, but I'm sure this type of environment definitely affected Butch very deeply. To top it off, Butch was also, quote, extremely overweight as a child. So if Big Ronnie was the type of man I'm thinking he was, that would have bothered him. Right. And then even into his in teenage years, and then he started using amphetamines 
and he lost a lot of weight. And I wanted to see like how amphetamines can impact someone, even mentally. It's not good at all. So they are a central nervous system stimulant or what used to be called uppers. Mom, you're old enough to remember what uppers and downers and how that was a big, big thing in your time. It was, but I didn't in, indulge. Okay, that's good. <laughs> they increase energy focus, confidence, and they can make someone feel euphoric. They used to use them to treat uh, alcohol hangovers. I had no idea. And to help with weight loss. Get mm. this. Today, they're used for hyperactivity in young people and narcolepsy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they weren't all bad. Well, I just saying. My experience, they were. Just saying. <laughs> so I wanted to know about the side effects especially the mood. How did they impact the mood? So amphetamines are highly addictive and they can cause mood swings, aggression, paranoia, anxiety, visual, auditory, and tactile hallucinations and insomnia. And then what's really scary is they actually de uh, destroy the pleasure centers in the brain, decreasing a person's ability to feel pleasure without using the drug. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's abused by his father. He's now using amphetamines. And to me, he's like a ticking time bomb. It's just a matter of time before he hurts someone, whether right. it's his family, someone else or uh, himself. They um, had four other children after Butch, Don, Allison, Mark, and then later uh, John. So let me pull up. And what's up with all these people named John? Oh, it's a, a popular name. Yeah. Man, remind me to never name a... I don't understand how John, though. The nickname for John is Jack. I me never either. Yeah. That's weird. Okay, so there's uh, Butch and Don and then Allison that? in the middle. And then um, uh, Mark is right here. Oh, and I... then little uh, John. And looking at the picture, you couldn't tell they're abused. Mm -mm. No, I wonder though if um, uh, Allison was eating something blue. <laughs> but you know what? No one is like close to him. No. Oh, that's interesting. Well, the legs are right here of Mark. Wow. And so maybe that's why. But yeah, I couldn't tell anything was weird right there. Hmm. Okay. Now, between uh, Mark and John, Louis, Luis. Louise actually left Big Ronnie oh. and no one knows for sure why but to get her back uh, Big Ronnie actually had a song written for her that was actually a popular song back in the day so let me go to the um the link the YouTube did she leave the kids there with him do what did he leave the kids with him I don't know. No idea. So him and this guy, um, it was in, uh, written in 1963, and it was a song called The Real Thing. And let's see, where's my link? Here it is. And it was um, uh, co-written by the jazz great Joe Williams, and it was a song on his album called One is a Lonesome Number. 
One is That's Three Dogs Night. Okay, here we go. Listen to the words. I mean, he has his song written and she, and she goes back, of course. Right. I mean, that, that to me, I, I don't know, maybe I'm different, but I don't care if you do a whole movie about me, if you're a jerk, you know, but I can also on the other side, see the emotional tie. They've already started a family together. And here he has this famous jazz singer co-write a song for her. So anyway, uh, it worked, and there's some speculation that uh, Louise's father actually helped support their affluent lifestyle, and um, including the house. Because and, of the- and then, let me show you this. So he has this song done for her, and then he had these um, life-size family portraits done. And he commissioned them to be painting it. It took over a year to complete, but these are gorgeous. Uh, They cost $50,000 and his father-in-law paid for them. That's the equivalent of $336,000 today. Are you sure that's the painting? It's the painting. Yeah, and they hung on the wall. Uh, And you can see them in crime scene photos. But this is Dawn and Allison. And then... Uh, this is the wife. I remember that painting. She's beautiful. And then here's Mark and little John. I mean, they're very handsome kids. And then this is the one of, uh, big Ronnie and Butch in the painting. No, this is a picture. I'm sorry. So I'm not sure if I have one of them, um, I'm sure there is one of Big John or Big Ronnie and uh, Butch, but I found it kind of interesting that these two are together and the daughters are together. But where, you know, is Butch, did they even have one of Butch? Let me see. Let me do a quick search. Uh, The daughters look more real than the other ones. Yeah, it's just incredible um how realistic they look but here is okay this is the hallway oh i guess that was a film <gasps> that was the painting so it had he had butch and himself together picture. it looks like they I, that may just be a picture no though. it's the painting got that same background as that other painting it's mm-hmm. the painting yeah that's amazing so alcohol yeah, what a weird painting to have. Looks like a picture was blown up. No, it's it's the painting. That's amazing. So obviously, you know, Mrs. Defile came from a wealthy family. Right. And um, 
it appears that Butch's temper mirrored his father's as he aged. So now he's got learned behavior. He's got neurological, you know, pathways of thinking. Uh, we do know that everyone was ab abused, including uh, Louise. But uh, Butch was very angry and violent, and he often got into physical altercations with his father and even his own friends. What I find ironic is that as Butch grew more violent, Big Ronnie and Louise got concerned and tried to get him into counseling. He was doing what he thought was raised to do. Right. Like he basically created a monster and now he's trying to tame the monster. And it's like, well, you helped form this monster. You, you can't throw a two-year-old across the room and expect them to be well-adjusted. And uh, so um, Butch didn't think he needed it. So he refused to go. And then they resorted to pacifying him with like uh, expensive gifts and allowance. And then they gave him a job where he didn't really do any work. It's interesting. The mother didn't see. I mean, she wanted him in counseling because she couldn't understand why he was like he was. I don't understand that. And I do know like back in that day, you know, like par parenting was definitely not what it is today. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more old school. You definitely got spankings, you know. There could be some strictness and things like that, which I'm sure there is today, but it we've definitely swung right. over to a, the other side where the kids now run the show, where right. back then, you know, getting slapped or hit or I mean, that seemed normal. But for this, this is definitely abuse. I think being slapped or hit is probably abuse too. Spankings, I have no problem with, but uh, this was definitely, you know, abusive, but maybe they just had the mentality of that's how I was raised. You know, like it just passed along. I don't know. Some are worse than others, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, just like the List family, he killed him on November 9th. This killing actually takes place in November as well. I don't know what's up with November, but on November 13, 1974, several pat patrons were chatting over beers and mixed drinks at Henry's Bar when suddenly at 6.30 p.m., Butch burst through the door and yelled, you gotta help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Butch's best friend, Bobby Kelsky, was there and he raced to Butch who had fallen to his knees. Six other men, along with Butch and Bobby, raced to the DeFeo residence and they arrived within seconds because it wasn't very far away because, you know, 2.5 mile long city or village. Bobby opened the unlocked door without any fear that someone might still be in there. The house was quiet except for the family dog Shaggy, who was tied up to the inside of the kitchen's back door because he wasn't uh, housebroken yet. And then a textbook belonging to one of the younger kids was sitting unopened in the dining room on the table next, next to some wilting red roses. Bobby led the rest of the men up the stairs to the second floor, which Butch refused to go. He was very familiar with the home because of being a frequent guest. He rushed to the master bedroom and all of them were immediately overwhelmed by the smell of death. He turned on the light and he saw Ronald DeFeo, 43, and his wife, Louise, 42, dead. Big Ronnie was mostly on the bed, and I'll show you crime scene photos in a second, um, face down in his blue boxer shorts with a bullet hole in the center of his back. Then Louise was buried beneath an orange blanket, also on her stomach. Bobby was had one bullet hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then Bobby, who was about to pass out, um, they, the men guided him downstairs past the beautiful life-size family portraits. And then John Altieri, Altieri uh, he was one of the six men that was there. He went back upstairs and he checked the northeast bedroom where he discovered the bodies of two boys also face down. And that's where people started getting creeped out. Why is everybody face down in their beds? In one bed was John DeFeo, age nine. And in the other bed was Mark, age 12. All were shot, but where wasn't easily determined at the time. And then the horrible scene just did not fit with the clipper ships, cannons, and eagles on the boys' wallpaper, athletic shoes and toys strewn across the floor, and the crutches and wheelchair that was next to Mark's bed due to a recent football in, uh, injury. It was surreal. And he had seen all he wanted, so he rejoined everybody downstairs, and they called 911. And then um, the first uh, officer to arrive was named Kenneth Greguski. Greg Greguski. He entered the home. He confirmed two adults, two young males, were all shot in their beds, lying face down. He called it in, and then Butch notified him that he also had two sisters. So the police officer goes back upstairs. And he felt, found Don, age 18, and Allison, age 13, also face down. Oh, okay. So he made them go face down. So they I'm, not, I'm not sure. That's what I think. Uh, wonder where he said he was. Okay, I'm not finding the one with the um, Mr. Defile. So I'll pull that up. But this is one of the girls. And you like you can see that you can't tell, you know what I mean? Um, so it almost like to me, I would agree with you in that he made them lay down face down, shot them, and then covered them. Because if you look at um, so this is uh Mark's mattress, and that's uh his blood stain. And let me pull up because I thought I had them saved, but I guess not. So uh, okay, here is the one. Oh yeah. So you can see the the gunshot wound in the dad, but the mother's right here and she's covered. I can't see it. Oh. Uh well. Okay, so here he is, and then she's covered over here. And notice the cover, it's almost like he shot his dad. And then before she can move or do anything, he shot her. And then the cover that would have been covering his dad, he just folded over his mom. Right. I wonder if he, the dad was standing up. Looks like he just fell back on the bed. Right. And then there's... um. One, so this one is of Mark, and you can see his wheelchair and see that he was shot, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they knew that. Uh, let's see if there is anything else. No, I think that's it. This may have been John's um, bed right here. So uh, that you know, started really creeping people out 
why are they all face down? And oh, and let me show you. So the house layout, let me get that up for you. Okay, so here's the stairs, here's the second floor. So John's here, Mark's here with his wheelchair. Then Allison's right here and Dawn, I don't know why she's on the picture. And then right across the hallway were his parents. Uh, it's He shot his dad first, then his mom. And if I'm not mistaken, he walked over here and killed John and Mark. Mark wouldn't have been able to do anything because he couldn't walk. Where, and, was, where was Dawn? Well, she's supposed to be in this bed right here next to Allison. So I'm not sure why they don't have her uh, in in bed. Maybe Or maybe she had her own room. I thought she was in the same room as uh, Allison, but maybe she was in a totally different room. And that's why. Hmm. Okay, so six detectives arrive by 645. So he lets everybody know at 630. 15 minutes later, they're going to start interviewing neighbors to see what they heard. Uh, news spread fast. Bystanders and cars were all trying to see what was going on. So in the meantime, a detective, Robert Burkhart, showed up and he started questioning Butch. And Butch explained that he had to break the kitchen window um, to get in. But when they're sitting in the kitchen and when Burkhart looks over, the kitchen window is not broken. It's actually open. Oh, so that's well, the first thing like, you know, you're lying, right? Criminals are not always the smartest, let me tell you. And then I don't know if it was right when he looked over at the window or if later, but sometime that same night, that window crashed down and shattered. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So obviously there, <clears throat> this guy's lying, but still it's like maybe trauma, you know, but even in trauma, how would you not know whether you broke the window or opened it? Right. Family members started arriving, including Louise's dad, which I cannot imagine. Um, his name's Michael Brigant Sr. He was interviewed in the kitchen area, and he mentioned that Big Ronnie had told him he was getting some suspicious phone calls. And so in order to preserve the scene, police moved the command center from the, uh, to a nearby home around 730, 745. And then Butch was taken to the police for a formal interview. Now, at the time, they said he was not a suspect. I'm not sure if I agree with that. Did he have blood on him? Not that they could tell. Mm -mm. No. But there's a reason for that. But I mean, what do you think? Do the, I, to me, the police are just knowing how they think they're to me, they're going to immediately look at Butch, but they, right. they were assuring everybody he's not a suspect. The window, the only one left. The detective, yeah. I think right off the bat, probably suspected him. Yeah. Okay. So they said they didn't at first. I think they're full of it. Um, they always start with the family and then they go out. Okay. So Butch first said that he thought it was a mob hit and he named a guy named Louis Fellini as the hitman. After he shared his thoughts on who did it, he told detectives that he stayed up late watching TV, but that he couldn't sleep. So he left for work early. He thought everyone was alive when he left. He then said that he'd been trying to get a hold of his family all day. Every single family annihilator or murderer 
who does not disappear like John List says they tried to call their wife all day. They try to call their parents all day. It's like, get something different. Like be the one person that, you know, hey, I just came home from work and found them all dead. You know what I mean? It's like they're trying to create this picture of a concerned child or concerned spouse, which to me, because everyone does that, I immediately think guilty. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? So he went home, he noticed his car, his parents' cars were in the driveway, but no one would answer the door and he didn't have his house keys with them. So he broke uh, the kitchen window to get in. He went up to his parents' room, found them dead. And he said they drove back to Henry's bar uh, to get help. And he'd actually been there earlier in the afternoon drinking with his buddies. But things weren't making any sense to the cops. So they went ahead and they put Butch in protective custody just in case there was a mob hit. However, uh, detectives found an empty box of 35 caliber Marlin bullets, the same bullets that killed each victim in Butch's room. They're not very bright. Well, he could have been drunk too. Right. I mean, just leave a note saying I killed him like John List did, people. I mean, come on. Dear John, you know, I still think that's a good book. Mine's better. <laughs> okay. They didn't find the rifle. Um, and then the autopsies put the time of death at 3.15 a.m., which is an important time, mm-hmm. when Butch was at home, according to the statement. Now, at first, the cops were like, man, was the family drugged? Just because they were all face down. Like, that that just didn't make any sense to them. But and if you heard a gunshot of all the people, you would get up. Right. So. But if you have a gun pointed at you telling you to get back in bed on your face or scared little kids, which usually will hide under the covers, um, then it makes sense. But yeah, no drugs were found in their bloodstream. And what's equally weird is no neighbors heard the eight gunshots. However, they did hear the dog barking. So I'm wondering if the dog barking like kind of muffled or camouflaged the gunshots. That's a big noise. Yeah, that's a big noise. That's bigger than a dog. But so it's a big dog's bark. I mean, they may have not realized they were hearing gunshots because of dog barking. I'm not sure. Right. There's already, you know, some weird stuff happening. Mm -hmm. It is weird. I think that all of it can be explained so far, but it's definitely, I think it fed into the whole scenario. I don't know about the window though. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, So confirmed with the facts and that Butch's story wasn't adding up, he confessed. So he said that he started with his parents. He entered the room and he shot his father twice in the back. Within seconds, he turned the rifle on his mother, shooting (laughs) her twice in the back and the side. He then went into his brother's room And he stood between their two beds and he shot uh, both in their backs. Mark was killed instantly and little John twitched for a few moments because a bullet, uh, it went through his spinal cord, severing it. He then went into his sister's room. Allison looked up just as he lowered the rifle and shot her in the face. So that sounds to me that she was already on her stomach. And then she looked, he fired and then he aimed his rifle at Dawn and blew off the left side of her face. He then wiped, he wiped out his entire family in 15 minutes. 
So it sounds like they all just, well, okay. So that's not bam, 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 walk, bam, 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 no. bam. So, so he had to have took some control, had some issues with some of them. Yeah, because you'd get up and run out. And you had to reload a shotgun. And the fact that they were covered after. I wonder if he arranged them on their stomachs. They were all shot in bed. So <clears throat> I personally believe he, with the shotgun, they've already heard it go off, forced them to lay down and not look at him. Yeah. It's different rooms. Wouldn't you get up and run away or get well, up? Well, that's what I'm thinking, but he probably, it's all right there together. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. I know like in some of the true crime where there's children involved, they will hide under the covers or they'll get under their bed. Like they will stay in the room. Right. And so they may have done that. I think Don did get up um, from some of the photos and things I was looking at. But um, if the little ones, they may have been so scared they were paralyzed. So mm -hmm. I think he had to have some form of control too. Now, afterward, he calmly showered, trimmed his beard. You know, that's important when you kill people. Dressed in his jeans and work, books, uh, work boots, he took his bloody clothing and the rifle, which he wrapped in a pillowcase, went out to his car and drove into Brooklyn, where he disposed of the evidence in a storm drain. He then returned to work at his, or reported to work at his grandfather's Buick dealership around 6 a.m. To further establish his alibi, he tried calling home several times while at work when his father didn't show up. He left around noon, acting as if he was bored with nothing to do at work, which was pretty common for him. Uh, and he called his girlfriend, Sherry, to let her know they wanted to stop and see her. He arrived at her house at 1.30, and he just casually mentioned he couldn't get a hold of his family. Well, if you couldn't get a hold, why didn't he call the police or, or go home or go home? Yeah. yeah. Well, and he called from the house just to show her that he couldn't get a hold of them. Yeah. Oh, true. So then he took her shopping and afterward they drove to Bobby's house. And he, again, expressed concern with not being able to get a hold of his family. Uh, he told uh, Bobby and his girlfriend they thought it was weird because he had driven by the house and all the cars were there. So Butch then, Butch then asked Bobby if he's going out later, and he said he's going to take a nap and then go to Henry's bar around 6. If you're that concerned, why didn't you go home? Why did you go shopping? Here's the thing, though. I mean, you can't get a hold of a family member like now. They're not answering their cell. Their phone's mm -hmm. dead, whatever. You, you go about your day. But what's weird is that you don't drop by the house. He did. Just, he drove by the house. Weird, yeah. But then didn't go in. Right, right. Yeah, that's weird. So then Butch spent the rest of the afternoon visiting friends, drinking and taking heroin. He arrived at Henry's around six and once again expressed his concern about his family. He told Bobby that he thought he'd go to the house and see what was going on. He, had, he explained before he left that he was going to have to break a window because he didn't have his keys. So Bobby's like, do what you got to do, dude. You know, it's okay. <laughs> Now why would you explain it? I don't right. know. Break through the window. Like to me, it, that's just weird. He's being just weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's when he returned at 6:30 yelling for help. Okay, so by 8:45 the next morning, Butch was read his rights and the questioning was intense. And they pressured him, saying it just didn't add up. There was no mob hit. The story was falling apart. So he put his head in his hands and said, Give me a minute. 
They kept pressuring him. And finally he said, it all started so fast. Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. So he showed them where he disposed of all the evidence and uh, they went and they found the clothes. Uh, so this is a rifle. They did discover it. Um, it looks like it's at their house. Uh, I think they found it at the house. No, they, they found it where he disposed of the clothes and stuff. And then this is a crime scene of them starting to remove the bodies because the house was black. So that's not. Yeah, he disposed of it in a drain in uh, Brooklyn. Mm. Okay. Oh, and then this is him being arrested right here. So I, I can imagine what the cops thought, you know, especially back then. I don't think killing your entire family was you know normal. It's not even normal today. Not common. So Butch tried to change his story several times. And a lot of people, even to this day, believe there was more than one killer because of just how they were all laying face down. Like, how did he control all those people? It's like, you know, six people. But after reading about this case, I personally think he did it alone. Um, yeah. And his trial started October 14th, 1975. Butch tried to act like he was insane. Um, like they showed him a picture of his mom. He's like, I don't know who that is. Uh, after seeing his father's picture, he said he killed them all in self-defense because they were going to kill him, including his little brother. Um, he also uh, said that he was God. So the prosecutor pressed him about the murders themselves and listen to this. So the prosecutor's really going after him, right? He said, you felt good at the time? The prosecutor asked, yes, sir. I believe it felt very good. Is that because you knew they were dead? Because you had given them each two shots, which isn't accurate. He didn't kill each one of them twice or shoot them twice. I don't know why. I can't remember that, honestly. Do you remember being glad? I don't remember being glad, but I remember feeling very good. Good. Didn't he later use that he was possessed? Mm-hmm. Possessed or hearing um hearing things telling him to kill his family. That was after Emmettville Horror. Oh. Yeah. And then he even blamed his sister. Like he said that him and his sister had both decided to kill their parents because his sister Don and him hated their dad and their mom. And that uh they were gonna do it together and, and they were gonna recruit some friends. Well then Don, he decided he didn't want to do that. And then Don just started killing him. And then he got mad at her and killed her. So he blamed Don for killing everybody else. And then he killed her because she killed the family. It's bogus. There's wasn't no evidence. There, wasn't there incest between him and his sister? In I the didn't book, that anywhere. In the book, it, that's what it has in there. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know of any of that. Interesting. No wonder he had to annihilate them all. I don't know if it's true. Now, Butch threatened the prosecutor's life on the stand. And the prosecutor was really worried the uh, jury would think that he was insane because that was his main goal. And he wanted to show that he wasn't. And so he really pushed him. So sure enough, the jury's first vote came back 10 to 2 with two jurors unsure if he was insane. And I could understand that because it's insane to kill your entire family. But the point is insanity, if you know that you did wrong, you're not insane. Right. And uh, so after reviewing the transcript of Butch's testimony, they returned with the guilty verdict. 
to two uh, to six counts of second degree murder. And he was sentenced to 25 years and he's still alive. So this is the latest uh, photo of him. Right. He here. was only sentenced to 25 years uh, to life. Mm -hmm. Oh, there he is. is. Is he still alive? Yeah. 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 That's him on the screen. But I mean, is he, is that in jail still? Yeah. Yeah. He's still in jail. He looks oh. really weird and skinny. Yeah, he does. You know, some of those friends of his should be alive also. Mm-hmm. Probably right. so. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as far as the type of family annihilate, annihilator, I think he's definitely um, socially unstable and disappointed, but quite frankly, I just think he was abused and he became an abuser. Plus he was extremely narcissistic. And I also think he was a psychopath, no empathy. Right. At right. all. He was like, he was very manipulative too. And um, you know, he's on like heroin and amphetamines and alcohol. So there's no telling how his brain was. Now they did find a motive though. And uh, so it might have been tied uh, to some money he had actually stolen from his grandfather's dealership. So he was uh, supposed to deposit over $20,000, but he claimed that on the way to the bank, he was robbed by a mobster. Him and his mobsters. Oh my God. I know. And so the day before the murders, he was supposed to go into the police station and look at uh, uh, mug shots to try to, you know, get the mobster who robbed him, uh, he never showed up because he was the one that stole the murder or the money. And so a lot of people think that he killed his family to get out of that whole thing. So, I mean, yeah, it makes sense to me. Instead of going, you know, possibly being on probation for stealing $20,000, I'll just go murder everybody. You know what I mean? No, not the entire family though. Yeah, that's why he, to me, he's definitely a psychopath, narcissist. Don't you think though, maybe is that brain? I mean, I think it contributed. Huh? I think it definitely contributed. Yeah. But I also think a lot of people are abused. Right. A lot of people are abused though, some even more severe than him, and they don't kill their entire families. It's like, yeah, kill your abuser if you're needing to get away, but why your little brother? Why your other, you know, siblings? Like, it doesn't make any sense. I personally wonder too if some of the motive was him to get the inheritance. How much was it? Do you know? I don't know. And it doesn't seem like Big Ronnie was actually that well off. A lot of it was Louise's uh Louise's uh dad. Yeah. But if she's dead and all his siblings dead, does he get all of it when his grandparents died? Like, did he have more people he was gonna kill? Right. Probably because his grandparents weren't that old, were they, you know, be dead in a few years. Yeah, I don't know. So we're, I, I want to switch gears a, a little bit and shift it to the Amityville horror aspect. And I, and I, I got my opinion. I'd love to hear y'all's opinion, but I want to first share my viewpoint based on a ministry perspective, obviously doing that a lot. So I have met a lot of people, including myself, where I've had strange supernatural things occur. So I definitely know this stuff is real, but my perspective is it's demonic. Um, I don't believe in ghosts. And so ghosts are demons. That's, that's my perspective. Mm -hmm. I do believe that violence opens the door to the demonic. Okay. But 
there's some weird things when it comes to the Lutzes. So here's some of the stuff that was going on. So George said that he would wake up every morning at 3.15. And we know that's when everybody was murdered. Okay. They claim to smell strange odors, uh, odors, see green slime oozing out of the walls and keyholes, and then they would experience cold spots in certain areas of the house, which I've experienced cold spots before too. It's like you literally walk into an area and it's like, you know, freezing. And then I've also experienced warm spots. Um, so uh, they felt that uh, the priest that came to bless the house allegedly heard a voice scream, get out. And then he told the Lutzes to never sleep in a particular room of the house, which is where he heard that voice. They also had a nearby garage door opening and closing by itself, an invisible spirit knocking a knife down in the kitchen, a pig-like creature with red eyes staring down at George and his son Daniel from a window, George waking up to his wife Kathy levitating off their bed, and sons Daniel and Christopher also levitating off of their beds together. Um, they did admit later that some things were added or exaggerated for the book and the movie. Like when the window came down on the boy's hands and crushed them, that didn't really happen, they said. But they both passed their lie detector test. Um, their son, Daniel, who recently shared his story in a documentary, which I watched, um, he was still scared to this day from what happened to him as a kid. It's also apparent that he didn't like his stepdad and he was very uh, strict and harsh. But here's what's interesting. Everyone else apart from the Lutzes experienced absolutely no supernatural in that house at all. It was a normal house. So why the Lutzes? I had thought that the owner after them or before had experienced some stuff. And well, that's the Lutzes. Out. They were the ones after. The Lutzes were immediately after, and no one before was in the house except for the DeFeos. But no one, even his friends. So George Lutz's friends, they went to the house after they fled. It was like 28 days they were in the house to pick up some items for them, and they felt absolutely nothing at all. Maybe they brought it with them or believed well, it. And I have a couple thoughts on it. Um, that I'll share with you. But this picture right here was one of the pictures taken after, um, I think it was when those people we were discussing earlier were there. So th these are the uh, Kathy and George, okay? And let's see, let me get back to that picture. Um, you passed it right there. That's creepy. Yeah. So this to me looks like I'm trying to find little Mark. I mean, John. It could look like either one of them. And and they've analyzed that photo. It has not been doctored, nor has it been touched up. But again, not ghost, familiar spirits. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So definitely a, a demonic. And then you'll notice it looks like he's wearing PJs. Mm -hmm. so yeah i think definitely it opened the door some, to demonic stuff but again why the lutzes okay now before i get into my thoughts listen to this statement from a jim and barbara 
Cromartie who purchased the home March 18th, 1977 from the bank because the Lutzes never went back. They never set foot in that house again. And so they bought it from the bank and they weren't very happy because of the hordes of tourists searching for supernatural phenomenon afterward. So they made a statement because they sued the Lutzes and uh, several people. They said the quiet village of Amityville, Long Island has been made infamous by a hoax. It will possibly never be the same. It is Long Island's equivalent to Watergate. None of us would be here today if a responsible publisher and author had not given credibility to two liars and allowed them the privilege of putting the word true on a book in which in all actuality is a novel. The credibility of the hoax stems from using a charlatan Catholic priest who has been banned from performing his religious duties by the diocese of Rockville Center the equivalent of a disbarment of a lawyer. The charlatan priest has been involved with a complicity to to lie and therefore deserves no credibility and should be dealt with accordingly. Now, Jim and his wife who made the statement, he played in the house as a child. And they were trying to make the home a part of the community again. They knew to them it was not true. Um, but unfortunately they were forced to move after living there just 10 years because, you know, of all the tourists and all of the phenomenon around it, they couldn't sell it. They couldn't sell the house. No one wanted to buy it. So they moved back in and they lived there until 1987 and not a single supernatural event occurred the entire time they were there. So they sued the Lutzes and they sued the publishers of the book Amityville Horror for millions claiming that false mis- misrepresentations were made willfully, claiming that, uh, uh, and solely for commercial exploitation, and then they agreed to an undisclosed settlement. So there, s- several other families lived in the house as well. Uh, they always sold it at a, at a discount because obviously no one's going to buy it for full price. Nothing weird happened to them either. So then it was sold in February 2017, for $200,000 below asking. Over the years, they changed the address and then the creepy eye windows. Okay, so this is what it looks like. And they actually had to change the address as well. I think they changed it to um, uh, 109, but this is the back. So this is the garage, well, the boat house and the door that kept going up and down and the dog and all that, but yeah. And I thought I had a picture of it today in the front as well, but let me see. Um, Well, that was the redone one, wasn't it? Yeah, but not the front. It was the back. Um, This is the side, but see these windows right here. So they were the eye windows back in the day. See? Yeah. And they changed them to just the normal because it was those creepy eye windows yeah. I remember that too, man. That that creeped me out, the eye windows. So why did they experience all that stuff? Because I, just by watching the body language of Daniel, and then I'm, I don't put a lot of stock in lie detection tests, but for both of them to pass, they never went back. I mean, people say there was like a financial arrangement with their lawyer, Weber, Um to just turn it, you know, the, the horror of the murders into a haunting to make a lot of money. And they left all their belongings. Everything. Yeah. yeah they so took off. I don't think it was a big scheme. It's sort of, 
incredible that they they did experience. And even later, you know, they you could tell like when they were interviewed. I mean, okay, so um, here's the deal. Daniel Lutz, he said when he was interviewed that George dabbled in the occult. Now, the only proof, though, that he had was some occultic books that Daniel saw on the bookcase on a table when he was little. They've never been able to confirm that. I know from personal experience, when you start messing with stuff like that, you open a door. Yeah. And so if no one else who lived there did that kind of stuff and George was into that, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's yeah. why they were the only family. Yeah. But it's Could never be. been confirmed. It's never been confirmed. He just, it's that we only have Daniel's word. Right. And I but think that's minor detail. Like, yeah, there were books of the occult. I remember that. And that's all he remembers. I mean, I, I believe him because it's such a minor, not thinking about a detail. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the whole thing could be fake, The uh, but I'm with you guys. I think some of it was real. And this guy down here, William uh, Weber, he actually sued, I believe, the Lutzes or testified or something because he was actually tied to the DeFeos somehow in a legal capacity. But he also said that him and the Lutzes came up with the scheme of the haunting over a glass of wine to make a lot of money. And he was supposed to get a cut from the book and they never gave him his cut. I don't know. It sounded like there was a lot of uh, suing going around. I don't know that I believe him either. I did read, um, see a documentary once where they said the majority of the book is true, but they did embellish some things. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was also seen by others supposedly. Well, Daniel said that he's the one that saw the pig eyes. And he knows that's real. And, you know, like there's a book by a man called Frank Hammond, uh, named Frank Hammond. It's called Pigs in the Parlor. And, you know, a lot of the demonic is tied to pigs, the unclean animal thing and all that stuff in the Bible. Well, also the story of the um, demons going into the pigs and then going into the. Yep. And right. levitating is definitely, you know, so I, I'm with you guys. I think there were some things but I definitely think they embellished. I think they probably did enjoy the money, uh, but they were probably awful, awfully scared as well. Yeah. And they ended up divorcing later. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's it on the Amityville Horror. Um, so I'm glad we got Eddie Rabbit and Alabama figured out. And I'm glad that y'all think that they kind of look similar, all these people. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to watch the new movie? I already did. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. oh. What'd you that think? It wasn't as bad. Oh, it wasn't? No. And they changed a couple of things and, you know, it was a little more suspenseful at the end and stuff. Well, Ryan Reynolds can make anything okay. Yes. <laughs> we just watched a movie called Safe House with him in it with Denzel Washington. Oh, so good. So good. I really like Denzel Washington. Me too. So any other thoughts? If not, we'll conclude this, this uh, mini series episode. No, I think the book name is perfect. No, for this one. For it's this perfect. Series. 
Amityville. Oh. Horror. How long have you been in jail? Mm, since what, 75? I wonder if you'll ever get out. No. Probably not. So the thing about, you know, both of the murders were in November too. There truly is such a thing as um, sad, the seasonal disorder. That's true. Uh-huh. Huh, that's interesting. Now, in my research, most family annihilations occur in August. Hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Which we'll get into. But yeah, most occur in August. Isn't that weird? Wonder why. It is a very expensive month if you got kids. Or before school. <laughs> Do it before school expenses. Oh, yeah. I thought that too. Oh, my word. Well, yeah. some of this I'm not going to put on there, so. Out. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? Ah!